Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we are today in a series of messages that was moving through the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter, asking the question about the identity markers that we find in Paul's letter to Ephesus. Here's the key concept for today. In Christ, you have been rescued. In Christ, you have been rescued. And we are reminded of that all through chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. The key word we're going to look at is that word saved. We have been saved. As you find uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible, I'm going to remind you actually of what Paul is doing here. What he's doing is he's setting up a great spiritual before and after picture. Like the kinds of things that you see in advertisements for diet products or for exercise equipment, those kinds of things where they compare what the person was before started starting using this product and then what the person is like today. So on one side of the split screen, you see this chunky guy sucking down a milkshake with a greasy t-shirt and unshaven face, unkempt hair, you know. But on the other side, the after side, there he is, slimmed down, tanned up, photoshopped in hairdo, playing sports with women looking adoringly on, before and after. But no matter how bad the before picture looks in these kinds of ads, it's never as bad as the picture that Paul paints of us before Jesus Christ. And that is, outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, you are dead. Dead in your transgressions and sins. That's the way that God sees us. So let's read, starting in verse 1, chapter 2, says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all of those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's the before picture. And Paul is not talking about a particularly bad group of people that he's encountered. He's talking about all people everywhere, dead in our transgressions and sins outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God always views us based on our destination, on the eternal destination He knows about us. And He sees that those who, don't ha who haven't found new life in Christ are heading towards eternal death. He sees that destination already because of what Paul says, transgressions and sins. Now, I want to look at those words in verse 1 for a moment because some of your Bibles that you're looking at don't have the word transgressions there. It has the word trespasses because of our trespasses and sins. And actually, the word trespass is a better word. It's a better translation of the Greek. The NIV that I'm reading kind of tries to pick a modern word, I think. But actually, the Greek word means the crossing of a boundary that should not be crossed. The straying into an area where we should not be found. Getting off the right path. Now, sometimes that is done physically. We go places that we have no business being. We trespass. And sometimes it's done emotionally. Maybe you've been in a conversation and the conversation begins to circle around some sensitive topic and someone will say to you, hey, don't go there. They're saying, don't trespass emotionally. 
to where you don't belong. Maybe the nature of our relationship can't take that. Don't go there. But spiritually, we all have trespassed in some way. And the result, Paul is saying, because of that aspect of who you are in your sinful nature, the result is it's killing you. And God sees you as dead already. Trespasses, transgressions, and sins. Now, that's a different word altogether. That word that he translates the word sin means missing the mark. It means falling short of the intended goal, not measuring up to what we're supposed to do. And if you take these two words together, trespasses and sins, transgressions and sins, you pretty much have the gamut of the way that we blow it as human beings. Sometimes it's actively doing things, going places that we know are wrong, we shouldn't be there, and we're there anyway. Sometimes it's not living up to the standard, not being able to measure up, falling short. But no matter which way it is, this result is death, which is separation from God. As I said, God sees you always in terms of your ultimate destiny. When we get to verse 6, we're going to note that he sees Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, as already seated in the heavenly realms. In other words, he sees that as our destiny. We're not there yet, but we will be there one day. But for those outside of a relationship with Christ, on the before side of the picture, the destination is death. It may appear that people without the Lord are very much alive. It may appear that people who reject the claims of Jesus Christ are living the good life. But God says through the Apostle Paul that in every way that matters and is for all eternity, they're already dead. Even if they're physically fit, even if they have low cholesterol, a high salary, their end is death. But then we get to verse 4. And verse 4 is the after side of the picture. Let's go to verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And in that combination of verses, particularly verse 4 here, we have uh, two words that when connected are some of the happiest words in all of the Scripture. Those words are, but God. God has intervened. God has done something for us. God has set us on a new course. And he says that course results at the end of verse 5 is we are saved. That's the key word for today. We're saved. That's your identity point. You're saved. And it comes because God has intervened, but God in fact, the word but is a fantastic word. It's a direction-changing word. And we use it that way in everyday language, right? I was going to give you an F, but I graded on a curve. You got to see. That's better. I was going to give you a speeding ticket, but I'm in a good mood today. Here's a warning. I was going to make liver and onions for dinner, but... Pizza for everybody. Much better, you see. But has a wonderful power. It's a powerful word. And when you connect it to God, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. You're saved. Your failures do not have to haunt you forever in the eyes of God. 
Your problems do not have to smother you. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have a new beginning. You can be raised up, though dead, purified, though filthy. You do not have to be defined by your sin because God has intervened. See, that's the lie of Satan. Right now, in this age, the world in which you live and are exposed to every day, Satan is telling this lie. He's saying your sin defines you. Your definition comes from the worst thing you've ever done. That's your label. And your label is thief or cheat or drunk or pervert. That's your label. And Christ comes along and He changes the label. But God. Christ comes along and He takes that dried up old heart that's seen too much sin and too much failure and too much disappointment and He breathes life into that heart through His love and forgiveness makes you saved. See, that's the new label, saved. And the method of salvation is given to us right here, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the method of salvation. It comes as a gift. Salvation is not earned. It's nothing you can uh, do in yourself. When you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, He's not paying you the wages you deserve. He's giving you a gift. He's handing you grace. And the source of your salvation is grace and grace alone. You are saved by grace. And the channel of that grace, the conduit of that grace, if you, if you, you might say, through which the grace travels to your heart is faith, and faith alone. It's nothing you do. You can't do enough ritual. You can't do enough praying. You can't, you can't come in and out of church so many times, and now all of a sudden you've earned it. It doesn't work that way. Don't forget, I'm for church, by the way. Don't, but, but it doesn't work that way. It is, it is your faith. When you turn to Jesus and, and ask for the salvation He offers and know that He will do it, repenting of your sin, all of a sudden that channel is open and grace floods your heart. That's the source of salvation. I, I, I emphasize that because sometimes we get confused. Salvation is God's work, not your work, okay? And it's by grace you're saved. And it's not just faith, like if I believe hard enough, somehow it'll just happen. No. It's surrender to the work of Jesus Christ. And as you open the channel of faith, grace saves you. But we need faith. Consider faith with me for a moment. Faith is not, not, not knowledge. Just because you know something doesn't mean that you have saving faith, even if what you know is something about God. I mean, listen to James 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons have knowledge, but they don't have faith. Neither is faith equal to feeling. It's not just the religious warm fuzzy that overwhelms you when certain worship songs are sung. And it's not equal to the po power of positive thinking. It's not just hoping for the best, kind of a motivational lifestyle that looks at things in a positive way. That's good and that's fun, but that's not faith. That's not saving faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, that is the channel for grace, is turning the heart desire towards Him. It is realizing that His forgiveness is what I need, and I don't have it unless I ask for Him to give it, and He gives it. 
It is repenting of our sin and trusting that He will do the saving that He promises if we ask Him. And all of this, all of this is at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We don't come to Christ because we figured out the puzzle. We come to Christ because there's a moment when we sense our need for forgiveness, where we surrender before Him and we are under the convicting work of the Spirit. And because the Spirit says that is what you need, you are not yet right with God. And you must get there. And we get there through His power. See, saving faith actually has three components. The first component is knowledge. You have to have some basic knowledge, basic hearing of the content of the good news that Jesus, God the Son, came and paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. And He rose again, and today He's active to save. You have to know those facts so you know what to place your faith in. That's number one. Number two, however, is conviction, where knowledge becomes personalized. When we hear about the death of Jesus Christ, and don't think of it only as a historical thing, but it as a personal thing. I need that forgiveness. It's relevant to me. And that touch is the Holy Spirit bringing that conviction, saying this is what you need. But thirdly, the third step is commitment. When I turn to Him, when I reach out to Him, when I make a conscious choice to say, I want that salvation offered to me to be real. And I place my faith where it belongs. Where does it belong? In Jesus Christ. In that moment, when the doorway of your faith is wide open, God will enter your life with His grace. And He does the saving. And what Paul says grammatically here in verses 8 and 9, what he's saying is all of this, this entire process, this thing that I've just said, all of it is a gift from God. It's nothing that you figure out. It's a gift from God, this process. And the result is, I'm saved. But what does that mean? We use the word saved in a few different ways, don't we? For instance, we can use saved to mean I'm setting something aside for special use later. Like, I'm saving up my money for a new car. Or we say, we use the word saved to, to describe how we stopped or we avoided wasting something. We could say, I saved time this morning by finding a shortcut to work. We also use the word to describe collecting. I save postage stamps. I save teacups. Or we use the word to describe a rescue. I was saved from driving off the cliff because of the barrier that they put there. Thank goodness. Now, in which way do we use the word saved in this context? It's the first and the last. The last, that idea of a rescue. I have been rescued, saved from something because of Jesus Christ. And also, I've been saved for something. I've been, I'm set aside now for special use. You're rescued from some things. You're rescued, first of all, when you are saved from the penalty that's due us because of sin. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the penalty is off the table. And that penalty is described all throughout Scripture as spiritual death, eternal death, in a real place that the Bible talks about called hell. A real place of suffering. Nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to hear about hell. I've never received a note. Pastor, please tell us more about hell. Vance Havner was born in 1901. He was licensed to preach at age 12. He was ordained at age 15. 
and he had a lifetime ministry. But when he was a young preacher, he was ministering in a small congregation in North Carolina, and he was making that congregation very uncomfortable because he would continually talk about hell. And one of the elders took him aside once, and he, and he said, Pastor, we just want to hear the words of the meek and mild Jesus. And Vance Hadmer said, well, that's what I'm giving you. And the reason he was right was because Jesus talks more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And when he talks about hell, he uses a term that actually is a description of a very real valley that the people could look at. The word was Gehenna. And Gehenna was a valley south of Jerusalem and had a history. At one point in its history, Gehenna was the site for the worship of the pagan god Molech. But when King Josiah made his reforms in the nation and he, and he cast out the paganism, he turned the, this area, which was the place of the worship of the pagan Molech, he turned that into a garbage dump. And 24-7 garbage was burned in Gehenna. Always it was on fire. Always there was smoke. And Jesus said, that's like the place I'm talking about, a place of suffering. In Matthew 25, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, this is at judgment, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's death, eternal death. But we are rescued from that. The blessed change of direction has come into our lives. Why? But God, who is rich in mercy, has intervened for us. That's saved, saved from the penalty of sin. Secondly, we're saved from the power of sin. As children of God, you have a new power, a new ability that you never had before because now you have the Holy Spirit. You're not instantly, you know, perfect. Temptation still comes. But I want you to know that victory is possible in greater and increasing ways as you walk with the Lord because the Holy Spirit is yours. Give Him more of yourself. Do the touch of God you're different than you used to be. You no longer think the way you used to think. You understand temptation for what it is if you're a child of God. It's an attack from someone who hates you and wants to hurt you. Temptation is not an invitation from a friend who wants you to have fun. The thinking is reorganized when we know Jesus as Savior and have the Holy Spirit. It's not just an invitation to add a little spice to your life from somebody who has your best interest in, in mind. That's not it at all. Temptation is an invitation to drink poison. But this is new. New thinking, new awareness. Prior to coming to Christ, we're able to do good deeds. We're able to contribute to charitable causes and that kind of thing. But there's always a, a selfishness about it. There's always a, a selfish motive about it because our thinking is influenced by our sin nature. And we're still in the clutches of Satan there. But we have been saved from that, from that power. And we have a new power, the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Look at verses 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's the destination for those who are saved, away from the very presence of sin in the glory of God. And He tells us that he's going to, God is going to be kind to us. Demonstrate His grace to us in eternal kindness. That's what's coming. 
And I want you to see the, 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 the wording here in verse 6. It seems weird, right? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. It's past tense, isn't it? Remember, this goes back to the first thing I said about chapter 2 of Ephesians. Paul is describing the way that God sees us, and he's saying God sees you in terms of your destination. This has not happened to me yet. I am not raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly realms. I'm in Stockton right now. I have my feet on the ground right now. But Paul is returning to this point because he's saying, in him, this is, who you, this is how God sees you. You're not a person who simply says yes to the right philosophy of life. You are a person who has been radically transformed by God, if you know Jesus, and has changed your destination so that glory is assured. You are saved in that sense. And God sees it as if, as if it is so completely for sure that it's as good as done. He, he writes it in the past tense. It's absolutely going to happen. You are saved rescued. But remember the first way we use the word saved? Set aside for a special purpose, a special use. I, I, I used to go to Starbucks every single day, but I'm not doing that anymore. I'm saving my money, not drinking so much coffee because I want to save up for a car. That's going to be the special use. That applies to us as well as believers in Jesus Christ. We have been set aside to do something special now for God. And, and Paul gets to that in verse 10. He goes, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're set aside for the good deeds God wants us to do. In fact, I like the translation of the New Living Bible, uh, New Living Translation in verse 10. Instead of the word workmanship, it has the word masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is poema. You hear the word poem, poema. You are God's masterpiece. In other words, this morning when you looked in your bathroom mirror first thing in the morning, a masterpiece was staring back at you. It might not be at its best in that moment, but still a masterpiece. And here, I want you to see that this, the gospel, is the message of self-worth that really matters. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not just kind of, you know, the, the world's kind of standards. It's the message that I have been transformed by Jesus. I am saved from the results of my sin. I am in a new direction, and now I have a commission by God to do what He wants me to do for good works. What would a world be like if every morning every believer in the world woke up and said, God, I'm reporting for duty today. What are the good works that you want me to do? the world would be changed because God would show us those works. There is a way to live that gets us beyond the self-absorbed model that we see in our culture. There is a way to think that creates a mindset that will enable us to make a difference in the world that we live in. And the whole point of this all is understanding your identity, Paul is saying, so try, so try. Break free from the drift that's all around you. Say yes to the opportunity. And maybe it shows up as a simple act of kindness here and there. Maybe it's being a little more generous than we would have been, being a little more supportive of the people around us, seeing the opportunities to speak a word of witness. Maybe it is letting your heart break for the things that breaks the heart of God. And when every day you report for duty soon, you sense God's call in your life. We have been 
place, we who have placed faith in Jesus have a destiny. Here we are God's masterpiece in action. And one day we will be with Him in glory. Why? Because you're saved. Rescued by the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this promise. We thank You for this picture. And we know, Lord, that this salvation is costly and it costs the blood of Jesus Christ. So now, Lord, as we head towards communion in the next few moments, we pray that we would reflect on all that we have in You and give thanks. In Jesus' name, Amen.